Hey, this is Pastor Keith with Epic Life Church. And if you're tuning into this podcast, I hope it's something that will encourage you. And maybe you can listen to it a couple times and as you're reading the scripture as well and come out with something new and maybe something to think about all day or talk with a friend and maybe use in a house church community or maybe on, on a, a chat across the, uh, the internet in this time that we're separated. Enjoy. Thank you, Father. Thank you that we can ask questions of you and receive answers from you. May we sing about who you are constantly through our lives. And Lord, during this time that it seems like some things are crumbling in our world, I pray that we would stand on the rock that is you. Thank you for gathering us together as a church, for giving us your blessing and allowing us to bless people in our neighborhood. May we be known as a body of believers, of people, of people who bless our neighborhood, no matter who they are, no matter what they, they follow or do or act like, that we bless our neighbors. We love them in the name of Jesus, no matter what. May you speak this morning, and I thank you for already being part of this community, because where you are, your churches. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Thanks, Justin and Ellie. What a blessing that was. And uh, it's so good to see you this morning and be part of this community. And, uh, and good to see you online as well. And if you're sitting in your, your uh, I guess, living room or kitchen or wherever you're watching this, it's such a blessing having you uh, be part of this community. And, and uh, to know as well that we're praying for you if, uh, at home is where you um, feel like you need to be during this continued time of the COVID tragic uh, stuff. Let me grab my table here. Oh, got it. And uh, we, we want to just bless you um, for where you believe that God needs you to be. We do want to also encourage you, letting you know there's space here. And we keep um, spreading the space out more and more. There's space up above, too, and we'll open that up when we need that to happen. All right, so listen, the thing is, is that things have happened in our country yet again. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty much, I think, not the best at commenting on uh, cultural things, um, cultural chaos, social things that happen in our world. So I'm just not the best at it. And the honest truth is, is that the uh, internet is the worst place to comment on anything because it's always almost 100% of the time taken wrong or words are, are contrived and uh, turned into something else. What I do know is that God has given us the word of God. He's given us his word to teach us and encourage us. And so that's where we're going this morning is to be teached and encouraged by the word of God. Um, to enter into that... <sighs> We, we do, we do need, I need to say a few things. So this year, um, I believe that God has given us a, uh, a, a direction, a year of increase, growing in Christ together, as you'll see over my left shoulder now, growing in Christ together, that we're abiding in Christ, connecting together and being prepared to act. And one way we're going to do that is through discipleship groups based on the curriculum of the Word of God. And so if you have your journal this morning, uh, you can thank Alyssa for getting that put together. Please read through this. There's some announcements there, and part of those announcements is talking about discipleship groups um, and, uh, um, and what we're planning to encourage you as the body of Christ to be part of if you're not already. Uh, another thing in here is the intercessory prayer gathering on January 14th. And if you don't know, Mayon, our uh, sister in Christ here, Mayon, and a brother in Christ over at Seattle Foursquare lead a North Seattle intercessor gathering every other month. And so this is happening on January 14th over at Seattle Foursquare Church. I just want to encourage you to be part of that so that our... Um, uh, it, the community of North Seattle is being prayed for and prayed over. Also, I think there's something about a women's um, ministry opportunity in there as well. On Thursday morning at 6.30, there's men gathering here. So if you're a, a male um, um, a gentleman here who wants to gather with other men, Thursday morning at 6.30. Is it at 6.30, Jason? 
7 a.m., 6.30, you'll be on time. All right. So 7 a.m. right here. Jason's making breakfast. No, he's not. Okay. Just come and be together with a bunch of other men. And then, ladies, there's something in the journal for you as well. And so I just want to encourage you to be part of those, um, those opportunities to grow in Christ. I believe it is the Holy Spirit speaking through the Word of God that brings about transformation. The entirety of the scriptures are a necessary, um, is necessary in our transformation and our growth in Christ. If you would turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, as you're turning there, I'm going to just pray that God would speak this morning. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you how you present it to us and you, you give it to us, and I pray that we can be confident in it. I pray that we would go first to your word to find truth, and second, a far second, to Bibles that t- or books that talk about the Bible. I pray that we would go to your word first. I pray that we would, we would uh, engage with other believers about your word before we go to commentaries and books about that. Uh, before we go to the internet and listen to, to other people talk about that. Before we even go to church on Sunday or our house church communities or wherever it is, may we go to your word first. And so I pray that you would open up your word this morning. I pray that you, Lord, would be um, uh, primary in our lives, the King of King, the Lord of Lord, the foundation of our lives that the builders have rejected. So please open up your word this morning, and I, I thank you, Lord, for allowing me to speak um, and speak from what you want to, and to teach what you want us to learn. And uh, Lord, if there's anything in here that are my words, I pray that you would strip those away and that you would speak. In the name of Jesus, amen. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. Proverbs is written by a king. His name is Solomon. Many of you know this. If you don't know it, his name is Solomon. He's the wisest person ever to have lived, um, King Solomon. And he writes these words at the beginning of chapter 1. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, or discipline um, to help them understand the insights of the wise. If you walked through Ephesians with us uh, a year ago, we talked about a verse in Ephesians that Paul prayed for the the church of Ephesus. He prayed for spiritual wisdom and spiritual insight. Perhaps he got that right from Proverbs chapter 1. These are the Proverbs. So their purpose, these Proverbs' purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple and knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. By exploring the meanings of these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear the Lord, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and they despise discipline. These proverbs are to teach others wisdom, discipline, and spiritual insight. This is sorely lacking in our world, in our country right now. Wisdom and insight. This is not a country of wisdom and discipline. It is a country of selfish ambition and the pursuit of entertainment at all costs, even if it means trampling upon others to achieve it. It was not and will not be a perfect nation. History has shown it to be, history has shown it to be full of opportunity and of freedom, a freedom of religion, and a freedom of speech like no other country ever to exist. We, interestingly, came from a Christian country, and this country became a Christian country. It has been a bastion of bringing the gospel to the nations, and God has used it, but it has never been perfect. For it has been and will be led by those who do not know Jesus and have never kneeled before Jesus in repentance. Hypocrisy is the norm 
And power is the pursuit, the pursued product. The swaying of the mob for control is the offensive play of the oligarchy that is around us. Christians linking themselves to a political party is tantamount to the Israelites worshiping at the altars of Baals and the Asherah poles in the Old Testament. We are, by all accounts, making politics and parties a religious high place, supplanting the God of creation. We, may I remind you, we are voting when we vote for humans who mostly are puppeteered by the entertainment grandmaster himself, the angel of light, Lucifer, the deceiver and the enemy of God. The God of this age, the ruler of this world, the dragon from the pit, our adversary who comes in the night as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, some nation to devour, to steal, kill, and destroy Satan himself. He is against us as Christians. So we vote in what we perceive as freedom to elect humans who are overflowing in sin, self-motivated along with money and power hunger. To grant us what? To grant us freedom? But they can't grant freedom. This world has no power over us as believers in Christ. This world has no power to give us freedom or to take our freedom, for we are Christians and hence slaves to Christ, not to man. Freedom. Please know if your freedom foundation is a political party you will be critically wounded and likely absolutely destroyed. Republican? <laughs> the outpouring of that, as we have seen throughout history from the Roman days on, is a fascist kingdom that is ruled. Democrat? The outpouring of that, as we've seen from history and currently, is a takeover of a dictatorship of communism. It's just the way it is. It's human. It's human. I'm talking to all of us. What I know in this room is that, and online, is that we vote for different political parties because as Christians, we're looking for the party that will help us, allow us to give us the most freedom possible. But we are voting for human systems, human political systems. Both, if we want to just say there's two, Republican, Democrat, there's obviously more and other things going on. All of them return always to human dictatorship. Fascism and communism always leads to the death of Christians. <laughs> Biblical truth becomes illegal, and the word of God becomes something that's destroyed. Do you realize in China right now, in China, the government has decided, because they can't get a handle on Christians, to rewrite the Bible. To make it so that Jesus in the Bible, if they rewrite the Bible and teach it to the next generation, they will realize that in the Bible, the new written Bible, that Jesus was a sinner himself wasn't the son of God. It's being rewritten. It's illegal to worship together in groups and in communities like this. Around the world, in China, in Russia, around the world, in different places, more and more the Bible itself, the word of God, is becoming illegal underneath human structures of politics and human structures of society. Even in Canada. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. Who, who said it's illegal to read parts of the word of God out loud. That Christian schools are having their accreditation stripped away because they believe in a biblical foundation and a biblical characters and morality. Human social engineering always ends in chaos, always ends in antithetical to biblical truths. And often... often it's the stripping away of free speech over progressive and sneaky ways, always leading to atheistic societies outlawing Christianity altogether. You will never win aligning with political parties or government theory. Never. Please hear me. We will never win. 
No matter how good it seems, at the time we vote, we will never win aligning ourselves with political parties or government theory. Christ is our king, and his kingdom is our land. His kingdom is our nation. We are Christians. Nations will rise and fall, but God's word will stand. Job, when he was writing... Uh, whoever wrote the book of Job, as they're writing about Job, the very first book ever to really come into a, a written form, Job knew this, the kingdoms rise and fall. And throughout the Bible, we see example after example of earthly kingdoms rising and falling, even the Israelite kingdom of saying, we want a king, we want somebody to rule over us on earth. It fell apart. 1 Timothy 2.1. Paul writes to his, his young disciple. I urge you, Timothy, first of all, to pray for all the people. This is 1 Timothy 2, 1. Ask God to help them and intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. This is going to be Paul writing about what we are to do in a political system of the world as he's writing about the Roman Empire at the time. Intercede on their behalf. Okay, verse 2. Pray this way for kings. And all who are in authority, so that we can live peacefully and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Take that verse home and meditate on it for a while. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior. What is good and pleases God our Savior? That we pray, that we intercede on the behalf of kings and all of those in authority. We intercede on their behalf, giving thanks for them. This is good and pleases our God and Savior, who wants everyone to be saved to understand the truth. Verse 4. This is God. He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Paul is advocating to us to be involved in the political world and social engineering of, the, of human um, parties and political systems in praying for them and interceding for them. I said this this last summer and spring. If you feel like you need to protest and march, go ahead. But do not do it until you pray and intercede for those in leadership. Do not do it until you fasted and you prayed and you were on your knees and feel like God is calling you to do so. And I say the same thing right now. Do not protest, march, whatever you want to call it, until you've spent time on your knees and you've interceded for the leaders that are before you, if you hate them or you love them. And then when God tells you to get up and march, you go right ahead. We, this country, we've succeeded in a biblical principle. It's called discipleship. <laughs> but not in a spiritual sense, in a political sense. The next generation knows more about our political bents and beliefs than they know of our own spiritual faith in Jesus Christ. That is a sad commentary of the church of Jesus in this country. Discipleship is a must, for we are always being mentored by someone. Always. People actively gravitate towards that which disciples them most. Discipleship must be grounded on the Word of God, not books about the Word of God. Couldn't we say, as people of God, that we spend an equal amount of time in this book as we do in other books about this book? Could we say that our, our listening to the scripture, our reading of the scripture is equal, at least equal amount of time to the amount of time that we listen to podcasts about this book or talk radio about the country or shows and media and Facebook and Twitter about this country, but or we could be reading the Bible, the Word of God. Discipleship must be grounded on the Word of God. See, God's Word is the best discipleship program available to us. It is the best. 
discipleship program. Nothing is better than the Holy Spirit teaching us and leading us through the Word of God itself. The Word of God is, the Word of God is where the apostles turn to. They look to the Word of God to then teach the church. The Word of God is where, where person after person, in fact, Jesus himself would teach out of the Word of God, the Old Testament at the time. In fact, all the way through the New Testament, they were teaching out of the Old Testament the Word of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to teach and lead us. Men and women throughout history and Christians and Christ followers today who are in human prison or in human lockdown or in human something because of other humans turn to the Word of God. And inside of that, the discipleship program wells up and the church expands faster than anybody can put a lid on it. The Bible must receive our attention. It's worth our attention. It cannot be compared to a 30-second TikTok, Snapchat, or tweet. The Bible is worth our attention. And over history, we will see over and over and over the Bible was worth people's attention to the point of dying for it and what it says because of Jesus Christ and the foundation we have. The Bible is worth our attention, but it also must be obeyed as, as what it is, the Word of God, completely and holy. Matthew 28, 16, many of you know this passage by heart, but I'll read it to you. Matthew 28, 16 helps us understand what we are to do as, as Christians, as Christ followers. And, and it's Jesus, he, 26, 18, Jesus told his disciples, I've given all authority to you in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given to you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. God has commissioned us to go to make disciples who make disciples and he promises that he's with us. So no matter what happens in the world, no matter what political system rises or falls, no matter what kind of prison that we feel like we're being put into, what doesn't rise and fall in this authenticity and this truth is the word of God. And God still gives us the commission to go activate to make disciples who are disciple makers giving us a promise that he's with us and so every time you open your mouth and you start to preach or teach or say something about God our hope and salvation we can feel the welling up of the confidence of Jesus Christ because he is with us anybody believe that here amen People actively gravitate towards that which disciples them most. Look at Christians in closed countries. Politically, they're closed. It's against the law to bring the Bible in. It's against the law to read the Bible out loud. It's against the law to gather. But people, the church is growing because of discipleship. People actively gravitate towards that which disciples them most. Mentoring the mentored, being mentored by the mentored. Well, the Bible is full of passages about mentoring and discipleship, full of it. I mean, everywhere. In fact, I think there's over 100 verses about counsel, receiving wise counsel and wise mentoring. 100 some verses, there's, there's so many. And so teaching um, this passage right now is gonna be very difficult because it, I'm gonna look at a ton of scriptures here um, and it's not necessarily God's word on mentoring, as in God saying, thou shalt be mentored. But it's an example to us as Christians of how God wants us to be mentored. First Corinthians, Paul says that things that happened in the Old Testament were happened because of an, for an example to us, that we can copy those things that happened as an example. 2 Timothy 3 uh, is, a, is another spot where Paul talks to his young disciple, Timothy, again, who we'll talk about later on. Actually, I think Hector is going to preach on that um, later on this month. But 2 Timothy, Paul talks about this in chapter 3. He says this, 3.15, sorry. 
you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And what's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. There was no New Testament. There was no Gospels and New Testament writing. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you what? They've given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ Jesus. Salvation is taught through the Old Testament. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses the Scripture to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The scripture is inspired by God as useful to teach. It's like it's our mentor. We're missing out on the greatest mentor we could ever have on the word of God by not opening it and reading it. It's phenomenal. Fantastic. So it, it's there to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong with our lives. I love it. I love it. Quote, unquote. I love it. When people leave and they send me an email and go, man, you just made me feel guilty this morning. I'm like, you mean that verse? <laughs> the Bible convicts our soul. And so we can take that as feeling guilty and feeling like we have a list of shoulds now. Or we can go, okay, God, what are you teaching me? What are you counseling me? What do I need to change in my life? How do I need to transform my life? Because this is your word in my life. But we hate it when somebody tells us what's wrong. We hate it when somebody points out sin. And the reason the Bible is banned in countries is because it's pointing out sin. And those passages, those passages about sin are the ones that are banned from reading out loud. Even in Canada, our neighbor. This is God's word on mentoring. Here it is. I'm gonna, th these are the verses I'm going to cover. 2 Samuel 7, 2 Samuel 12, 1 Kings 1, 1, Kings Chron or 1 Chronicles 28, 1 Chronicles 29, 2 Chronicles 1, and on, do we have time to read all those? <laughs> Probably not. But if you read the Old Testament, you know these stories, uh, you understand the stories of King David. And so throughout the series, we're talking about three people um, in a mentoring relationship. We're talking about a person, last week we talked about Moses, who had a mentor named Jethro, and who was mentoring someone named Joshua. This week, uh, we're going to talk about David, who had a mentor, Nathan, who was mentoring his son Solomon. Next week, we're going to talk about, we're going to actually talk about the disciples who were mentored by Jesus, who were mentoring the churches and the leaders of the churches. The week after that, we'll be talking about Paul, who had a mentor, Barnabas, who was mentoring many, but Timothy. I can't read all this, but this is going to point to biblical truth as we go through this. Yesterday, uh, or the day before, I can't remember, I've been driving with my son Caleb, and he's learning to drive. It's a scary time. Our last son is going to be driving a car, and uh, by his own, on his own, right? And that's, that's scary enough. You're a good driver, Caleb. Thank you. Um, we were driving around, and it made me think of something in my life. Um, just the, the idea of, of mentoring and driving. Isn't it so important that we have driver's ed? Have you ever driven behind somebody that you know that person never had driver's ed? I mean, follows no laws, doesn't know how to drive, doesn't know how to park, doesn't know how to speed up. I mean, just like, would you go back to school, please? Mentor, somebody needs to mentor this person in driver's ed. And here I'm riding with Caleb, and I try not to talk too much and, and say too much and uh, correct him too much because, you know, that just gets him flustered, and then we're going to wreck or something like that. So calm, one word at a time. Boy, that start was bumpy. <laughs> one out of ten, a two. Right? No. I remember something when I was a child. <laughs> when I was a child. It was the summer of my 15th year of life, actually. And uh, I had my driver's license at 14. Uh, in Idaho, you could take your driver's ed at 13 or something like that. And so I had driver's license at 14. I was driving at 15. And, and halfway through, or the beginning of the summer of my 15th year, I was driving the Chevy Chevette. And uh, I was taking that Chevy Chevette down the river to uh, the Camp, Camp Alaka, our, our Bible camp that we went to. And I was going to do some counseling that summer. As I, as I headed down the lane, uh, uh, Mom and Dad let me have the car for the week or weekend or whatever it was. And, and uh, I headed down the lane, and in, in the seat next to me was my ghetto blaster. If you don't know what a ghetto blaster is, look it up. It's a, it's a boom box or a, a stereo, something that made noise. And uh, I had a tape cassette of Whiteheart, 
And I took Whiteheart, and I put it in. I'm driving down the lane. We live up on the mountain. On this side is 2,000 feet to the river. On this side is a mountain straight up. I'm driving down the lane. As I'm driving down, if my dad's watching this this morning, I'm sure you're going to remember this story. I'm driving down the lane, and I lean over, driving, and I put the cassette in and close it. You know, you got to work this little machine there, because it didn't have it right here. I was doing that, and I pushed it, I closed it, and pushed play, and it started. I'm like, ooh, I need to turn the bass up. You feel, feel this? Are you feeling this? And I'm driving down the road, and I go down the road, down the lane, and right at the bottom of the lane, nice steep lane, right at the bottom of the lane is the, the road, the gravel road, and on the other side of the gravel road is this uh, drop-off. Click, click, click. And, and I felt the car... Um, like leave the ground. <laughs> like I had no, no ground underneath the car anymore. And it was just like this. I landed in this big pile of brush. My dad had been collecting down there so that we could burn that at some point. Just a big pile of limbs and stuff. And I, I swear that I, I caught air and just kind of landed on this big pile of brush. Probably not. But that makes a better story. So I, I zoomed off there. I caught air and landed like the Dukes of Hazard, but I wasn't driving anymore because I was eight feet off the edge of the road on this big pile of brush. I got out of the car. I had the keys in my hand. Like, he'll never let me drive again. I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm the worst person. You know those times in your life that you're calling yourself all kinds of names that you tell your kids not to ever say? You're calling, I'm, I'm walking back up the lane. I'm stomping. I think my sister was up the road, and she heard this, and she comes running down the road, and I'm running, running up the lane. I'm like, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna kill me. My dad wouldn't have ever killed me. Maybe close sometime. No, no, he wouldn't have. And, uh, and so I walked back up the lane. I think he heard it. I can't remember. But at the top of the lane, he looked at me. I'm like, I drove the car off the edge of the road. I handed him the keys. I'm like, thank you. I'm done. I knew he was never going to give me those keys back. He goes down there and looks, comes back up the lane. Well, let's get the tractor. So we went and got the bulldozer and drove down the lane. He hooked a chain up had me help him to this car, pulled it back up onto the road, unhooked the chain, and I'm standing there, you know, doing this. <laughs> I ruined the family car, a four-door Chevy Chevette. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, that's not much of a family car. He gets out of the bulldozer, reaches in his pockets, and grabs the keys and says, you're going to be late. <laughs> Tossed me the keys. I got back in the Chevette, and I drove down to camp, and uh, did some counseling, counseling at the camp. <laughs> it was one of the greatest moments of mentoring my dad could have given me. Greatest moments. Um, if the horse bucks you off, get back on, right? Somebody's got to encourage you to get back on the horse. Thankfully, this wasn't a horse. It was a, a wheeled horse. I got back in and just shaking and, and nervous, driving down the road, driving down this mountain road. But thankfully, my father saw the better thing than to just yell at me or, or uh, send me, like, you're never driving again until we have a tank, you know, or something like that. He, was, he just mentored and said, here it is. Drive away. I was kind of scared of my dad a little bit at the time in my life, most likely. Um, and if you know my father now, he's a super peaceful man and loving and kind. And I think those things of him mentoring us as kids changed a lot of that in him as well. What a beautiful opportunity for a man to mentor his son so that a father could mentor his son in driving. A wise man has many counselors. And a wise man has many successors. There are over 100 verses of counseling in the Bible, and it's super important for us right here in the Christian community to link arms together in a, in a discipleship world. Proverbs 12:15 says, "The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice." So let's talk about David. David would prove to be a wise man. In fact, he would prove to be a man after God's own heart. Oftentimes I ask, why was David a man after God's own heart with all that sin, with all that wreckage going on, with all those things that he would do and, and uh, be known for? David, how is he a man after God's own heart? 
I believe that he was a man after God's own heart because he was humble enough to listen to counsel. He was listening to counsel. It was, and counsel, anytime we listen to counsel, it, it requires humility among us. It cannot require pride. I don't think David, except for a, a few moments when he exhibited pride in his life, he was a humble man willing to listen to God and write, listen to the Holy Spirit and write it down. So, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to burn through some of these verses. I'm not going to read them all, but it's super important for us to t- kind of take a look at the, what, what happened to David and uh, how we can learn from this in our lives. So, so we're going to look at Samuel, the, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. Um, they were all written about the same time, somewhere around 1000 BC, all the way up to about 500. That, they were probably written around 400 BC, but they were written about the, the times of the kings um, and the time of the prophets, and so somewhere around 1200 BC to about 500 BC. And that's, that's the span of this. First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, and First, Second Chronicles, and so they kind of write about some of the same stories, or they they end end about a story that's going to be picked up. And Kings and Chronicles, they they kind of pick up some of the the stories um, about about the same thing. So we'll kind of dive through that. If you want to learn more, read read more through this, and follow your your notes in your Bible to read more. So we'll start with Second Samuel, chapter seven. Verse 1, when King David was settled in his palace, the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies. So to help us understand where we're at, David had just become king. King Saul had been killed in battle. Uh, David was anointed king uh, at, in childhood and finally became king. And uh, he, he, there was a bunch of wars that happened, a bunch of battles that happened. And finally, in, in David's uh, kingship, there was some peace uh, that happened around him. Uh, surrounding enemies. Uh, there's some rest from all the surrounding enemies. The king then summoned, summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, and he's saying this to Nathan, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, well, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. So here we have David. He summons Nathan, a mentor of his. We'll see that more and more. We see that he's he's calling um, for somebody who's wise, who can give him wise counsel. And he asks for wise counsel. And basically what he's saying, I'm living in a beautiful cedar uh, palace. The ark of God is there in a tent, a shabby little tent out there with the elements. Why don't I make him a big house? And Nathan says to, to counsel David, go ahead, do what you have in mind. But, verse 4, but the same night the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build this house for me? And I'll stop there as it goes on and David, uh, Nathan speaks more about, uh, to, to David. But God is saying to Nathan, hey, wait a second, hold it, hold it, hold it. Um, the advice you gave to David was incorrect. I want you to change that uh, so that David passes on the job of building a temple to Solomon my son. There's a couple things in this. Um, David, to his, to his honor, sought out counsel. He sought it out. He looked for it. Last week, remember, we said that a, someone who wants to be discipled needs to be seeking it out. An athlete who wants to become a better athlete needs to seek out a, um, a coach, needs to be the one who's available to seek it out and continue to seek it out. And David would continue to seek out advice from Nathan. And so here, here he is seeking out advice. Nathan gives him some wise advice. He, he gives him some advice. But, but Nathan and David, neither of them, are so proud that when they hear the Holy Spirit, they don't go, nah, I already gave some information. I'm not taking that back. They listen to the Holy Spirit. Neither were too proud not to change. Mentors, if you're looking for a mentor in your life, look for someone who's humble enough to change, to um, shift in his understanding or her understanding of the, the wisdom that has been given. I would encourage us not to be a prophet in somebody's life unless you've been invited into that relationship. A while back, I had a couple people come to me and said, listen, I'm a prophet and I've got a bunch of things to say to you. 
that always make me super nervous, right? It's like, oh, great. I hope they're saying something that God's already said, or, or is this a prophet? This is a, a word of counsel that uh, God sent, or somebody who just thinks they're a prophet, and now they have a word to it? It's, it's amazing how often that happens in a church plant <laughs> all the time, right? I would just encourage us as mentors to be very careful, or as someone who's speaking on behalf of God, be careful when we engage with other people. Not to be, it, it just, there's a blessing when we're invited into that, that relationship. There's a blessing that happens there, and that person is willing to listen and to change because that, that person is listening. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, um, I, I don't have time to read this. 2 Samuel chapter 12 tells the story of, of David and the story of David and Bathsheba. And if you know this story, uh, David saw this woman bathing and took her and killed her husband and committed this incredible crime, this sin that was a blot and, and disgusting, and, and he'll be known for this the rest of his life. And Nathan shows up again, because Nathan's already involved in his life, and the, and the Holy Spirit sends Nathan to David's side and said, listen, David, you have messed up. You have really messed up. And he, he speaks this, and I'm just going to read a couple of these verses, so um, 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David his story, this story. And he tells the story of a man taking a lamb. And David was furious about this. Verse 7, then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of, of Saul. I gave you all of this. I gave you, and now you've done this. And in verse 13, David then confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. There's a huge confession going on here. Um, two things in this is that Nathan wasn't afraid to speak to the king. This is the king, right? The king could literally have Nathan imprisoned or killed, even though he was a prophet of God. And so David would listen, but, but Nathan wasn't afraid to tell the king about his sin. And we will see that throughout the scriptures is that when God's person comes and tells the king about sin, it usually doesn't go well for, the, for God's person. And so uh, here's a mentor confidently talking with the person who he's mentoring, and David turns around because of relationship and because of built relationship and intentionality of mentorship, David repents, not to his mentor, but repents to his mentor, but repents to God. And his mentor is there. What a great relationship that shows. There's a, there's a trust there, a built trust, and that David can, can come before Nathan and confess his sin and, and follow after Christ. And so I'm jumping over to 1 Kings now. And uh, um, in 1 Kings, David's rule is, is uh, continuing. 1 Kings is just after uh, 2 Samuel. Um, his, his kingdom is coming to an end here in 1 Kings, and we're going to look at more kings throughout 1 Kings. But in 1 Kings 1, verse 32, David calls on his mentor one more time. And there's a bunch of verses here. Um, just remember that sometimes we look at the, the breadth of the scriptures and we can get truth out of it. Um, and, but they, there's so much that brings it together into this story that is teaching us the example of men of old and women of old. Verse 32, when King David or ordered, then King David ordered, called um, the priest and called Nathan the prophet and, uh, um, and a couple others and come, come into my present, presence. And he said, take Solomon and my officials down to the spring and Solomon is to ride my own donkey. And then in verse, verse 38, so Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of uh, Jehoda, and the king's bodyguard took Solomon down to the Gihon Springs with Solomon riding on King David's mule. And there they anointed and blessed Solomon as the new king. David would look to his counselor, his mentor, to set Solomon, his son, up as king. This is huge. That David didn't, um, and what was happening in the same space was that the throne was trying to be overthrown, and that um, another son was rising up to overthrow the, the throne. And David, in his old age, remembered his mentor, remembered others, and said, I need you to do what I can't do right now. Would you go and, and uh, set up Solomon as king? Ponder this with me, will you? God sent Nathan to mentor David, 
a man after God's own heart, who turn, in turn raised up the wisest king ever. Let me say that again. God sent Nathan to mentor David, the man after God's own heart, who then in turn raised up the wisest king ever, Solomon. We are in one of these places all the time in our lives. We are a mentor. We are someone who is learning and being mentored, and we are mentoring someone. There's always, always kind of three chairs. Is God using me to do the thing? Or is he using me to mentor the person who's going to do the thing? Or is he using me to mentor the person who's mentoring the person to do the thing? And that's what was happening here. David was, or uh, Nathan was mentoring David, who was mentoring Solomon to do the thing. And the thing was building the temple of God. Joshua, Solomon, uh, Paul, the disciples, and many, many others throughout the scriptures have a mentor, and they're mentoring someone. So let's look at Solomon. In 1 Chronicles, Kings goes through, Chronicles retells the stories of the kings, and, uh, um, and it's kind of helpful to look at Solomon's life from the end of 1 Chronicles chapter 28. At the end of 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, uh, and, and David says this, and he's, and he's mentoring his son. And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. And if you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong to do the work. Then David gave Solomon the plans for the temple. What a beautiful mentoring moment. This is obviously mentoring a son. So many opportunities do we have to mentor our sons and our daughters. Remember, someone is always mentoring your children. Someone is always mentoring them. It might be media. It might be the teachers at school. Um, it, it's probably on their phone, and it's in the form of short videos and memes. Somebody's always mentoring your child. What a great thing to say to your child. If you're teenagers this morning, listen to this, okay? If you're younger than teenagers, like Asher's age, listen to this. This is so good. Solomon said, or David said to his son, Son, learn to know God, the God of your fathers, the God of your mother. Know him intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and willing mind. For the Lord sees your heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. Teach this to your children. Pass it on to generation after generation. And just remind them, if you forsake God, he, he doesn't, he's not a, a God who's just going to squish you and get rid of you, as we find out in the New Testament. But he'll, if you forsake him, he'll go, well, who are you? I don't even know you. Take seriously. The Lord has chosen you. And in this, chosen Solomon. In your family, it might be something else. But teach and encourage your, your sons and your daughters then David gave Solomon the plans. At some point, we need to pass on the plans to our kids. Just over a chapter to chapter 29, verse 19. I'm just going to read one verse here. Um, Solomon is stepping up to be the leader. And David is continuing to pray for his son. Give my son, Solomon, a wholehearted desire to open, obey all of your commands and laws and decrees, to do everything necessary to build the temple for which I have prepared. How many of us spend time, much time, on our knees praying for our kids? I find myself often praying for my own kids, praying that God would bless them. And, and I kind of get lost for words. I want to encourage you to use the Bible to pray over your kids. Pray something deep and profound over your kids. I know it's late. I'm going to keep going here in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, the title of kingship has been passed on to Solomon, and now he's going to start speaking to the people as king. 2 
Second uh, Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1. Solomon, son of David, took firm control of his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him very powerful. Solomon called together all the leaders of Israel and the generals and captains of the armies, the judges and all the political and, and clan uh, leaders. Then he led the entire assembly. He led the entire assembly to, to a place of worship in Gibeon for God's tabernacle, tabernacle was located there. This was the tabernacle that Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. David had already moved the ark. And so it goes on and just talks about Solomon taking um, the space. And in verse 9, he says, Oh God, please continue to keep your promise to, to David, my father, for you have made me king now over a people of numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours. This is when God asked Solomon, whatever you want, I will give to you. Whatever you want, I will give to you. Sounds like a good sermon for health and wealth right now. Whatever you want, I will give to you. I listened to the radio on the way in. And on that radio, there was a pastor going, whatever you want, it's yours in the name of Jesus. You just got to believe it. If it's, if it's health, if it's money, if it's cars, if it's houses, he literally said this on, t on the radio. Whatever you want, it's yours in the name of Jesus. You just got to pray for it. He wants to give it to you. Solomon had the opportunity right here to have whatever he wanted. And what we don't teach in those kind of sermons is that's, it potentially is true that God does want to bless us. But there's so much more. There's so much more we're missing out if all we want is a nice fancy house and a nice fancy car. God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire was to help your people and to be wise, I'm going to give that to you and I'm going to give so much more to you. And so Solomon steps up as the wisest man to ever live, the king who wrote the Proverbs, who wrote so many books, who wrote so many wise things for us to pass it on pass it on. Remember that song? It only takes a spark to get a fire going. Some of us remember that if you're old enough. It's kind of a cheesy song, usually sung with ukuleles, I suppose, or something like that. I don't even know if that's the strumming, right? It only takes a spark to get a fire going. But it really talks about passing on. When you've experienced God, you just want to pass it on. What I'm afraid is so many people in the church have never experienced God, never experienced the power of the, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so because we haven't experienced the power or that experience hasn't overcome our fear or we've never experienced it at all, we never share it. We never pass it on. Here Solomon was wanting to pass on this experience, the great God that he serves, the great God that he loves, he wants to pass this on to others, pass it on and pass it on. This must be, passing it on must be intentional, a determined piece of Christian life to children, to the church, for people actively gravitate towards that which disciples them most. John Dickerson, in his book, The Great Evangelical Recession, which talks about six things that will crash the evangelical church. Evangelical, I know, has a bad term right now, but listen, the word evangelical church came from something very good, to evangelize, to share, to pass it on. And what we've created in this country is this evangelicalism that is more worship than the idea of what we were supposed to be doing in the first place. But the decline, this is what John Dickerson says, the decline of evangelical Christianity is not that we're just failing at evangelism. It's not that we're keeping, we're, we can't keep our kids in church. It's, it's not failing because we're going to lose 70% of our funding in the next 20 years. It's not those, it's not even those and 30 other things. That's not why Christianity is in such a major decline and fall. It's those things and 30 other things with one answer discipleship one answer discipleship so we go through those 30 things of the declining church and try to reset those 30 things and try to do all those 30 things and come up with seeker friendly church and and fancy and and huge amazing gatherings and then okay that's not worth let's go to small gatherings and see what we can do there and we go do all this kind of stuff to take care of the 30 things that uh, that the evangelical church is d um, declining about when all it is is really discipleship discipleship. Bruce Wilkinson has this idea of the three chairs. One chair being 
the first generation. This generation who radically had their lives transformed for Christ. They're living um, in sin, uh, maybe, maybe living for themselves. Maybe they have a hint of Christianity in the back or no Christianity, but they've been radically saved. They're given their life over to Christ, repented before him, and were radically saved. That would be the first chair. And that first chair, these people, these men and women are excited to pass on to their next generation who God is and what God has done and tell the stories about how God has transformed their life and seen reconciliation and wholeness and peace and found foundation and, and grounding in the word of God and grounding it. And this generation learns this and grows up in this, this, this uh, learning to be Christian family. A Christian family for sure, but learning to be... Because these, these folks were 20 maybe, 25, 30 when they came to Christ and they, they had this radical experience. And so this, these kids grew up in the church. The next generation grew up in the church and they kind of had these churchy things and they started to fall in love with God and they authentically fell in love with God. Like loved him so much and they went to Bible camp. They experienced God in these radical transformational ways as well. And they loved God. And they were teaching their kids... Bruce Wilkinson shows over and over and over in the process of this, these radical transformational stories don't get past to hear very well. And over and over and over, the third generation, because of discipleship, steps over here and out. The next generation doesn't know God at all. At all. How can we solve this problem? This isn't just something he came up with as kind of a theory. This is how it works. Some of us are sitting in here realizing that we are right here. Some of us are here. Some of us are here. And there's something we can do about this. And that's what David and Solomon are saying is pass this stuff on from generation to generation. Tell the stories of the grandparents. Tell the stories of the, the, the text in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Tell those stories and help kids to fall in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. In fact, I've got two lines left on college rule, which could last a half an hour. Second Chronicles chapter 10, we see... We see this. We might have Nathan. We might have King David. We might have Solomon. Or this is David, Solomon. And this is Solomon's kids. This is Solomon's kids. <laughs> we think the wisest man in the world, the wisest man to ever exist, that man is going to pass it on to the generations to come, right? That man's kids. That man's kids are going to change the world. That man's kids is going to, they're going to be kings and kings, and they're going to recreate and, and, and point people to God, the king of creation. That man's kids. That's exactly what didn't happen. <laughs> That's really sad, isn't it? Solomon would end his life with 700 concubines and following the gods of the women in his life. He would have a son named Rehoboam in 2 Chronicles chapter 10. Rehoboam would receive the throne, but it wasn't without a lot of trouble. And he would receive the throne and despise the northern kingdoms, and he would turn to worshiping the enemy to worshiping at the Baals and the Asherah poles. He would turn his people into egregious sin and the nation would follow right along. And the kingdoms would be split. And there'd be Israel and Judah and for the rest of time, the kingdoms would be split as they would be in constant battle, literally fighting one another. We must, we must, we must disciple the next generation. How do you do that? I don't know. I know we've, we've failed. And when I say we, my wife and I, we've failed. We've succeeded. We've had great examples of blessing in that, but also incredible hardship. I want my kids' kids to know Christ. And so what we do as humans, we set up a legalistic boundaries for people to get into and stay in those lanes. We set up rules. Like, if you don't do this, you can't have 
salvation. If you don't confess, then God's going to condemn you to hell. If you don't do this, and, and we set up these structures to kind of keep our kids in this structure, and we've seen what that accomplishes, right? It, rec- it accomplishes rebellion. Like, incredible rebellion. How do we mentor and disciple? The reason we don't mentor and disciple our kids very well is because many of us have never been mentored and discipled ourselves. And if we were, it was kind of accidental discipleship. One thing I love to, uh, if you guys get the chance, call Pastor Dave Banks up and talk to him about discipleship and see the intentional discipleship that's happening in Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's beautiful. It's intentional. It's, it's decisive. We're going to disciple, point people, not to curriculum, but to the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to speak in that. We must, in, in humble confidence, disciple and mentor others. So, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Paul writing to his young disciple yet again. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Paul says this. Remember this? I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, ask God to help them intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness. And Paul was just saying, Pray for the leaders that the political world is calm so we can live peacefully and tell people about Christ. This is a good idea, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, and that one man is Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase our freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I, Paul, I have been chosen as a preacher and an apostle to teach this to the Gentiles. And he talks about teaching this message to the the next generation. We need to have a reason why discipleship is important. A reason that God will give us the shiny things of life is a, a failing reason. A reason that we'll have a country that goes along with our political bent and we disciple our kids in pol- pol- politics, it, it, it's a recipe for disaster at best. Discipleship, though, when it comes to the Word of God and pointing people to the Word of God, we have kids who are in love with God and want to share that love with others. It is not too late. It's not too late to become a disciple maker. It's not too late to be a disciple <laughs> of your mother and your father, of a trusted Christian brother or sister. It's not too late, but we do need to start. And I think this year, I believe we're starting as a church. Father God, I thank you for gathering us here this morning. I pray that we, Lord, would have a foundation that's confident and true on you, Jesus Christ, the word of God, and that that confident foundation, Lord, we know is unshakable, It's a rock we stand on as the waves of the world are pounding at our door. And I believe we have an opportunity. Lord, you've shown this. You've shown this to to myself and other pastors that we have an opportunity as the church of Jesus Christ to bring a foundation to people. As people are casting just casting their lives away. Lord, you see what's happening in our world. In North Shore School District, right here, this year there have been eight suicides. Eight. God, may this not happen. May the despair and the chaos lead people to you and to the foundation. And Lord, may we be prepared, because we have mentors ourselves, may we be prepared to mentor and disciple others. And may we just get involved. May we look to our brothers and sisters in places like China, Iran, and other places where the underground church is growing in in massive, incredible ways when it's illegal. But it's growing not because of secret sensitive stuff, but because people are being discipled. May we step up May we work. May we never be too old to disciple. May we never be too young 
to disciple. Never too old to learn and grow and be humble enough. Never too young to learn and grow and be humble enough. And I pray that the teenagers, especially the teenagers in this room and online, that they would listen to the heart of their parents. The heart of their parents is crying out for a blessing in their life, wanting them to know the only rock, the only place salvation lies. And may you help us to, to pass that on, Lord. I pray against shame, the shame that says you're not enough. You haven't done a good enough job. It's too late for you. And I pray we would rely on your Holy Spirit to shut that down. Oh, Lord, there's so much. I just look forward to this month and this year as we dive in to discipleship all the way. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you to take this song, um, this, this moment, uh, to respond. A good part of discipleship is responding. I want to encourage you to respond to what God has placed on your heart. If it's, if it's something that's convicting you and welling up, just respond to it. Maybe it goes all the way back to the beginning of this morning when I was talking about our allegiance to politics more than our allegiance to God. Maybe it goes there. Maybe there's places in between, but... I just ask you to respond as Justin and Ellie sing.